don't go home. Stay all night, don't go home. Stay all night, don't go home. Stay with me till morning. Hey everybody, this is Nate. And this is Justin. From Pertnier Sandstone. And you're listening to Road to Blue Ox. Alright, hello. Welcome to episode three. Nate, welcome to episode three. Oh, it's good to be back, Justin. This has been a lot of fun making these podcasts. We've had a bunch of good feedback from people and good suggestions as well. So thanks for listening. Yeah, and thank you for um, putting up with our trial by fire sort of experience with producing a podcast. We are enjoying doing it, and we hope you are enjoying listening to it. We have a lot uh, in store for this episode. Uh, we're going to highlight music again. We decided that our one of our favorite things about making this podcast is highlighting the artists that are going to be coming to the stage at Blue Ox. Nate, who are we going to talk about this month? This episode, we are fortunate to sit down with Ronnie McCurry and chat with him while we were up in Lutzen, Minnesota for a festival. Lutzen, Minnesota, on the beautiful north shore of Lake Superior, Eagle Mountain, the highest point in Minnesota, an underwhelming 2,301 feet, but a super beautiful and sort of idyllically northern Minnesotan spot, and we were very lucky to play up at Papa Charlie's for their Sweetwater Shakedown and hang out with... Really, honestly, maybe our favorite bluegrass band around the Traveling McCurries. Yeah, they're, they're so good. And although it was spring in the air, people are still hitting the slopes. And we wrangled Ronnie into our hotel room. And with some cups of coffee, we were able to interview him where he chatted all about the history with playing in a band with his father and brother. and Hanging out in Bean Blossom with Bill Monroe. Hanging with Jerry Garcia. Selling banjos to to Jerry Garcia, really a good interview where Ronnie just kind of opens up and uh, highlights his incredible knowledge of the people involved in this in this genre. Very cool to listen to his stories and really such a sweet guy, like really down to earth and just love him. A good storyteller for sure. So we're going to be playing some Traveling McCurries from their Grammy winning album that just came out, as well as we're going to be talking about you know local favorite living legend in my mind charlie parr who has been all five years to blue ox yep uh billy strings as well who kind of has a, a lore about him around the festival we're going to tell a story about him and um dusty hart who's a local minnesota band that actually we have connections with i used to work with one of those ladies and our clogger matt cartier used to live with one of them and uh yeah they're they're newcomers to the festival and we want to um make sure that you're tipped off to what their tunes are like so you make sure and catch them when they play so we have some other things we're gonna discuss as well some features of the festival that we haven't yet covered on these podcast episodes we have the exciting announcement of the late night stage bands that'll be playing in the campground i've talked to various people on the road when we're out playing and they often mention how much they love the late night stage because it is like an extension of the festival, but it also, it's different than that main stage. It's cozier and... Uh, We've been listening to ideas and concerns from people, and we're going to be getting more water back at that campground stage. We, The festival does a great job of getting fresh water tanks all around the festival grounds, but 
that one, you know, we've, we've kind of pieced together this campground stage and people have loved it and we're building on it and it's becoming a featured event of the festival for sure. So we're going to be taking care of folks back there. And we have the lineup all set Thursday night, uh, June 13th, our longtime friends and the sound man and basically the producer of the late night stage, Timmy Luca, his band Black River Review will play along with Chicken Wire Empire, who always put on a good show and will definitely bring a good groove and get everybody dancing and partying back there. Then Friday night, we have local favorites, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades for their second appearance at the festival, kicking off that late night stage. Followed by the Jeff Austin Band, who was also up at Lutzen doing Grateful Ball with the Traveling McCurries this past weekend. He's been there every year, and that'll be his second appearance at the festival that day as well. And Saturday, June 15th, late night stage lineup. Friends of ours from Wisconsin, Armchair Boogie, totally grooving, very fun band to watch live we'll be playing and then we have it billed as the blue ox super jam <laughs> yep. we'll follow them it's always kind of a surprise for us sometimes as well who's going to be able to join us and show up and we've had some pretty memorable past blue ox super jam <laughs> back there <laughs> so we'll see what happens this year We're, we can't send out any official names but um well, anybody who's been there in years past knows what to expect when we get up there on Saturday night. <laughs> we always try and bring some fun guests up, and uh, hopefully we can wrangle some some good folks to come back and join us this year as well. It's fun. A lot of the featured photographs that I've seen for Blue Ox are actually pictures of that late night stage because it's tucked into those trees really well, which catch the lighting, and it's just always a really vibrant party back there in the woods. Yeah, intimate and fun. So one of my favorite... Late night campground stage acts from last year was Charlie Parr. It was really cool to see him back there in that party. And, you know, people have such a reverence for him and his music. And as a, a solo artist, he can really hold an entire audience in his grip. And I think we should maybe play something from him right now. Yeah, the, the question is, Nate, what tune to play? Seriously. There are so many to choose from. Well, it booms and 
there a little too long at a lane. Well, he sits home with the kids at night, hides the worry on his face. And the red cedar goes, red cedar flows, and long after you're gone, it's outlasting you long. It's outlasting you long. It's outlasting you. They can't play outside like it used to be You know exactly what's looking out there Brother, you can see it on the news every night And the village that it takes to raise our kids Is afraid to come outside And the red cedar grows, red cedar flows And long after you're gone It's outlasting you That's one of my favorite Charlie Parr songs, a tune called Over the Red Cedar from his album Stump Jumper. Uh, so we definitely want to mention, because there are a lot of great hotels in the area, we have a really good shuttle service to and from all of those hotels as well. So we just want to let people know that that is an option. If you if you are not too good of a camper or a sleeper. Or if you've had a couple drinks already at the beer tent and need to shoot back into town for something, there's that available as well. And, you know, Eau Claire is such a beautiful town. There's just a lot of cool little cafes and restaurants and things happening around Eau Claire. If you need a break from the fest or before heading out to the festival, uh, take advantage of the shuttle if you can. The shuttle service runs to the Oxbow Hotel, the Lismore, Quality Inn, America's Best Value Inn, Hampton Inn, and Best Western Trail Lodge. Super 8 also looks like. Oh, and the Super 8 too, yep. The shuttle runs hourly from the Oxbow, and it hits all those hotels on its way to Blue Ox and uh, makes return trips from Blue Ox to those hotels as well. Uh, And then after 9 p.m., the shuttle waits until the end of the last main stage show to return. So if you don't want to drive and you want to stay comfortably in a hotel, then uh, it's an option for you to get a ride out and not uh, worry about if you've had too many Bell's beers or Tattersall whiskeys. 
It's so close to downtown Eau Claire that you can also Uber pretty easily as well if you need to do a quick run in. We just want to make sure people uh, are responsible and uh, choose to get a ride if they've been drinking. That kind of segues a little bit into a story I have about Billy Strings. He was at the festival a few years ago. He showed up early with his band, and those guys are all such great pickers. They were running around and jamming in the back area. You know, it got pretty late. It got to the point where everyone should have probably been sleeping, but we were all still up picking, and and I know Billy was there going strong, and I, I don't think he slept. It seemed like he was up all night picking, maybe crashed in a hammock for a few minutes or something, and was bright and early. He was He opened up the stage that Saturday, and an amazing set that just captured everybody. It was, it was some great music and a great way to start the festival that day. We're really thrilled to have him back this year. And he's actually a great participant in the festival and the festival culture. He pitches a tent backstage and is, is there for the long haul. And here's a tune from Billy.
That was Billy Strings playing On the Line from his release Turmoil and Tin Foil. So in previous episodes, we've talked about the camping options that are available. We've mentioned the family camping area, the unreserved backwoods, you know, the pick and circles that are going to be happening out there. We've never really specifically talked about the variety of options and locations around the campground. And I think Justin's going to fill us in on some of that. Yeah, uh, as you enter the festival grounds, um, to your left would be the family area. There's a family reserved area that is currently sold out, but there is a family unreserved area that is adjacent to that and leads up to the festival bowl itself. And that's a really fun place to be for kids and for parents. There's just a lot of excitement and activity going on around there. And we will have activities for families during the day as well. So make sure you look into that. Also, unfortunately, our electric reserve sites are sold out, but there is a lot of available camping behind everything. Like Nate said, back in the pines and uh, beyond the festival bowl, uh, that's where you'll find a lot of, um, your sort of traditional festival camping going on yep. with uh, a little bit more noise and a little bit more bonfires and and you know you know what you know what you're looking for. Um, also, car camping. If you prefer to park your car at your unreserved campsite or use your car as your sleeping unit, uh, you can purchase a car camping pass and you will receive a tag-free vehicle to be parked at your site. Um, if your vehicle is longer than 20 feet, then you need an RV site. I believe they're limited as well. The pass doesn't give you like in and out privileges. It just means that you can park by your campsite and either sleep in it or use it. So make sure you check out the website for more information on that. And check out the various other ticket packages that are available this year. And also don't sweat it. I mean, the unreserved tent camping is really a great spot. It's it's heavily wooded and it's there's plenty of shade. and Plenty of fire pits around. Yeah, and there's uh, the shower building uh camp store and you won't have to walk far for you know all the festival action and anything you might need but it's really a great place to camp it's really easy to find your way around the campground as well there's plenty of signs posting to the areas and somehow yet i still manage to get lost <laughs> no matter year. what no, I, me too i just i, I there's I, like two roads and that's it <laughs> for some reason i seem to not enter the campground upon arrival until after dark and then it's wandering and finding my way by misguided landmarks and <laughs> yeah but you can also just follow the tunes too and that's kind of like a, a poetic nomadic approach to the festival going is follow your ear i think it was the second year of the festival i was at a campfire hanging out with some friends playing some music and i decided it was time for bed i had to find the find the tent again backstage and I was walking towards what I thought was the stage being that, uh, you know, there's some floodlights, some lighting must be the front stage area. And it turned out I was walking towards the sunrise and found myself in the <laughs> woods completely well lost, turned around. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little more wary now as I wander around, I bring a flashlight with me, <laughs> but you stayed up till dawn. I did. Yeah. And like we said, on to dawn, on till dawn. Let's listen to some music now from Dusty Hart. This is Wild Whispers. Wild 
that was local Minneapolis band Dusty Heart. We go back with them quite a ways. I used to work with Barbara Jean at the Wedge Grocery Co-op. I know Matt Cartier-Clogger used to live with her as well at a housing co-op in Minneapolis. So it'll be great to have her and Molly Dean at the festival this year. Yeah, they get great harmonies and really good instrumentation. 
Uh, certainly their poetry and lyrics will fit right into the Whispering Pines scene. We're really looking forward to having them there for their first ever Blue Ox. Well, let's jump right back into some music. We're going to listen to the Traveling McCurries from their Grammy Award-winning self-titled album. And the scenes of a 
live on a battlefield. I live on a battlefield. I live on a battlefield. All right, we're here with Ronnie McCurry. First off, I want to congratulate you on your Grammy win and your IBMA awards. Thank you, man. Man, that was great to watch from you know aside online and <laughs> did and, you see it <laughs> yeah i watched some stuff you guys put on oh gotcha on yeah. uh facebook or something yeah and uh it looked like you guys were full on in the hubbub like mingling and mixing down yeah. there yeah you know when you well i go into it a little bit when we when you, you get there you know we kind of were so busy you can sit there they give out like 80 during the day yeah you don't see it on tv you know yep. Well, they do like 12 or something on TV. I know, it's nothing. In, in, <laughs> in two or three hours or whatever it is. So they kind of run you through like cattle, you know. Right. But So we were sitting there. We were only sitting maybe 15, 20 minutes, something like that, because we, we had an idea now where it fell in the program. Right. Because we've been there with my dad oh, sure. a couple times, you know. And, and uh, anyhow, we had some insight inside insight on when it was so we sat there and not too long but long enough to get a little nervous <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know they, they call your name and it's just like wow i can't believe that i know, you know? it's got to be something man <laughs> nerves and excitement all at once yeah yeah, yeah. I, I alluded to it last night but we definitely wanted to tell you guys that or explain sort of the history of Blue Ox kind of came through the Traveling McCurries. Wow. Uh, when we were in Telluride playing with you guys, we opened that run of shows for you in Colorado. And yes. The festival owners, the Bishels, uh, they watched our show up there. They were there to see you guys, and while well, they were familiar with us, but they approached us there after and said, you know, we'd love to build a bluegrass festival in the upper Midwest, and we'd love for you guys to help curate it. So we have a lot of gratitude and thanks to the McCurries <laughs> because now we get to play festival curators and, and build what we like to say is our, our live festival mixtape of our favorite bands. So <laughs> I mean, I'm, we're just glad to be a part of that, man. Wow. That's... Yeah. I mean, and it's been, it's been a good five years and you guys have been there every year, either wow. as the travel McCurries or with your dad, your dad's coming back this year. Yeah. Appreciate that, man. I, I had no idea until you mentioned it last night. Yeah, it's really, it's really, <laughs> you know, for me, that was my first run with these guys, too. It's extra special on two different fronts. It's like I was introduced to, you know, traveling through Colorado. That's the first time I'd been to Colorado. And then wow. playing in venues like we did and just having kind of a mind-blowingly good time. And then Blue Ox comes out of it. So, Well, I'll tell you, man, in, in a short five years, it's become... A festival everybody wants to play. I mean, they have to play it. You know, that's good to hear. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's so it's true. It's just it's run well. You're treated right. You know, all that stuff that matters to the artist. As you guys are artists, you know. Yeah. And uh, and the lineup's great. Yeah, I think that was ultimately our goal with the festival as well is have it kind of an artist's festival mm -hmm. where people want to be there every year. They want to spread the word, tell the other the friends about it and have mm -hmm. other bands, you know, really to uh, broaden the appeal to the audience and the artists both. And yeah, and I think you guys are a part of that. The Colorado bluegrass scene definitely added to that. Yeah. Um, you know, the festivals we played around the country, we really tried to 
create something that you know we can be proud of and bands can be excited to be a part of and yeah yeah, i think we did that well you know there's always been a love for this kind of music in this part of the country for sure you know many many years yeah and and i think I don't think it gets overlooked, but I think it is just viewed maybe a little differently. But we're really thankful that the Bishops were willing to put something together like this and also to be able to create a bill like we can each year yeah. and like and really get those premier artists to come. And it's really yeah. it's really been fun to put together. Yeah, you go all out. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you mentioned the music and I wanted to sort of ask you about because I think you guys are really good stewards of the genre of traditional bluegrass. You guys do the Grateful Ball, so you step mm-hmm. into a more heady, jammy space. But also on your own shows, you know, you really play traditional stuff, and you guys sing the three parts, and you just you tear it up. And last <laughs> night, I was like, I was in a blissful state watching you guys. But <laughs> that was a great show. But I wanted Thank to you. ask you about how kind of your philosophy and how you approach what songs you choose, and maybe like, is it kind of like we want to carry the torch that your dad's mm-hmm. kind of passing? to you guys or how yeah. you approach like your repertoire and what you guys choose to play well justin you know uh this band has been together about 10 years and we finally made a record you know <laughs> about two years ago we started doing singles and uh it compiled into finally making a record but before that you know just getting started for us i had been in my dad's band since 1981 so uh all those years just being as supportive and whatever i could be to get my dad up raise him up right in my own little way you know Uh, yeah (laughs) besides the you know the folks finally figuring it all out and he you know just kept growing and growing you know back in the early 80s we were we're from pennsylvania and uh my dad had already had a band since 1966, so he had traveled a lot of places with that band, but wasn't really uh, full time. I'd say, you know, he right. he was a logger when I was growing up. He logged in the woods, you know. All right. In uh, about 1985, I turned 18, got out of school, and he basically quit logging, and we hit the road a lot, a little bit more, till we made the move to Nashville. And all these great things happened for my dad, you know. And we really took it more serious. Well, you know, then uh, got to a point where my, my dad hit, you know, around 70. And he said, he said, I was thinking, what happens if I lose my voice? Or something happens to my voice or, or my health. Yeah. And uh, so he had kind of pushed us out of the nest, you know. And right from the start, it was like, well, all right, we're all we really, really know to do is to play traditional bluegrass because that's how we grew up, and that's you know, it's just part of us. So, but you know, I'm also a product of growing up in the '70s and '80s and hearing all this music that I was going through. You know, we listened first thing that. Kind of hit me was say the Almond Brothers, you uh-huh. know, 
I like that kind of music because yeah. I like the twin guitars. And yeah, <laughs> very good southern rock. Yeah, that that feel, you know, had a <clears throat> had a somewhat of a bluegrassy thing to it, you know. Yeah, it feels it, you know, it rambling feels, man, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, just, it's like adjacent or sort of. Yeah, it's, it's got like some close something. neighbor. It is, yeah. you know, and so when you as you get older, and then of course you see other bands in bluegrass that did stuff like that, the new grass revival, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, along the way, I'm just kind of roundabout telling you how we, basically where I come from, anyhow, the music I play. I was 16 years old, and a guy sent a box of albums to the house, and one of them was uh, a new record he had put out, and it was from a live show, half of it was, and half of it was just tunes he had written and it was david grisman and <laughs> and so that that album he sent was with my dad and it was called early dog and it was a half of it was live with my dad from 1966 and along with that he sent his his music he had been playing through the 80s you know sure so that got me into his music and so there's there's elements of that in, in what we do, yep. you know, now. It, all that stuff comes out. <laughs> right, you're proud you know? of what you listen to. It like, is, yeah. you know, and uh, the, the songs that you like. And so um, somewhere along the line in my late teens, I uh, had some friends that when I would say uh, I played the mandolin, the first thing they'd say was, oh, you mean like uh, Led Zeppelin <laughs> or... or, or uh, the Grateful Dead? Yeah, okay. And I said, The Grateful Dead, let me see who's playing the mandolin. David Grisman's playing the mandolin on this stuff? No kidding. But I already knew of Olden and the Way, yep. and I didn't know really the full connection. I was like, all these people come up and say, we found bluegrass through Olden and the Way. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I found The Grateful Dead through Olden and the Way. Yeah, that's great. So... <laughs> Then I started digging into that. Then I started going to dead shows. And um, if I'm getting long-winded, just That's let cool. me know. <laughs> just keep going. This is perfect. <laughs> and then uh, we were playing in uh, Washington, D.C. for the National Folk Festival. And it was a two-week-long thing. This would have been like 1989 or 90, somewhere around there. Del McCurry Band? Yeah. Yeah. And we lived 75 miles from Washington, so we would go home a lot, you know. Because we were there two weeks, basically. It was an exchange. Russian music, big thing on all Russian life. And it was the national folk life uh-huh. thing. So, The dancing and music, everything. All that. Yeah, it's And great. arts, you know. And, and then we represented Bluegrass. And the guy that kind of ran our stage was a guy named Tom Venom. I'm telling you this because there's a little connection to up here. So Tom at Venom was working for the Smithsonian and he wrote books. He liked to travel the world and record native music and he'd right. get deep, you yeah. know, and uh, he wrote this book on Haitian drumming and he was, so we we're talking about how we liked the Grateful Dead, you know, and he said, Oh, you like the Grateful Dead? And he said, I wrote a book and uh, I'm really good friends with, with Mickey Hart. Okay. <laughs> He loved, he loved my book. So the next thing you know, they wrote a book together. So he said, you want to see the dead? We'll go see the dead. So we prepared to go. The, what I'm kind of getting at is he would, he's from Wisconsin. All right. And he lived, uh, what's the islands? 
Apostle? Yeah, Apostle yeah. Islands. That's where he lived in the summertime. Oh, that's a beautiful spot, man. Yeah, he had a family house there for 100 years. <laughs> that's a great place. It, it, yeah, I've never <laughs> been, but he told me the beauty of it. He was just the most wonderful fella. And next thing you know, we're going to the dead show. And I'm, I, and he said, we'll go backstage. And, and I took like 10 cassette tapes because I was going to meet Jerry Garcia. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the cassette tapes was from a show in 1963 where my dad was with Bill Monroe playing guitar and he played in Berkeley, California. Okay. And this was the first time that Jerry Garcia ever saw Bill Monroe live. Oh, wow. And it knocked his socks off, you I know. Bet. There's a there's even a documentary on Bill Monroe and he's interviewed and he said, "We I wanted to be a bluegrass boy after that, you know." <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Yeah, you've seen that, right? Well, that was basically the show. <laughs> oh yeah. So he he had he told me that he uh, that night was a big night for yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, like musically, and yes. Sort of like yeah, and epiphany wise. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, and uh, so I had read this. You know, he'd been there, and of course, I talked to David, and because they had started getting back together as. Crispin and Garcia stuff. Oh, yep. Right, so it was right. It was good timing, anyhow. Right. I gave him ten cassette tapes, like, <laughs> <laughs> and got to meet him. He's just the nicest fella. Yeah. And um, you know, after that, I wound up uh, selling Garcia some banjos and some other things. And every time I'd call David Grisman, uh, they might be recording. He'd put the phone. He'd give me the phone and be Garcia. You know. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> It's kind of neat. Well, that's that. I mean, that had to have been a big influence uh, on you as well. Yeah, when I when I dug into their music, you know, and and uh, besides, you know, when they could really get out and their their music, but their songs were, if you strip them down, yeah, <laughs> they fit right into their the, folk music. Yep, you know, they fit right in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Garcia Grisman recordings were very instrumental in, in my own development as a musician. I think that's when I finally discovered the mandolin as the real voice of American folk music in a lot of ways. It, it can carry that torch. It can cover the fiddle. You know, it's just so versatile. Yeah. And it can fit in so many different ways, including, you know, playing the Grateful Dead music. Yeah. Yeah, and he was the master. He still is. David, in my opinion, at, at being able to be so versatile, you know, yeah, the Grisman Quintet is definitely something I still strive towards. That level of complexity of composition is just yeah. incredible. He is. I mean, I, he's got the greatest tone to me, and he's a great friend. I mean, he he gave me the mandolin I play when I was young. And oh, you've had that mandolin for? Yeah, I was 21. I still play it, yeah. Okay. And, I mean, he laid it on me, you know, because I had a cheaper model, Kentucky mandolin, and we started playing some music together and doing what we called, he called the David Grisman Bluegrass Experience. And basically it was my dad's band with him. Okay. And uh, he he said, hey, I've got a mandolin at home for you. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm not going to ask for it, you know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but if you're giving it to me. <laughs> and my dad went out and did a show and did something with him. Uh, he recorded with him is what it was. And he flew home and had this mandolin. You know, he wasn't playing it and had it laying around. That's just kind of the heart the guy has, you right. know, really. 
So you guys, so you said the Travel McCurries as it is now. Yes. Is Ten years old. Yes. But Alan is the young guy, and he's been he's been with the Del McCurry band for thirteen years. That's exactly right. And yeah. So and and Jason joined you guys. Oh man, nineteen ninety two. Okay. He was nineteen years old. I think. Yeah. He. I've seen photos of of then, and he looks like a baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His old boss was Melvin Goins, and the Goins brothers are in the Bluegrass Hall of Fame now. They were from West Virginia. He would always introduce uh, Jason as this boy over here. He shaved twice and cut his <laughs> legs both times. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's how you. That's how you get at a rookie, a greenhorn. That's right. <laughs> What do you think keeps you guys together, though? Because, I mean, it, it seems like you, you guys all get along really well. Yeah. And, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Back to, you know, songs and stuff like that. With the Travis McCurries, it's when we started out, you know, it was kind of like the Dallas McCurry band, you know. Right. <laughs> we heard that. <laughs> yeah. And and we're playing kind of traditional songs and stuff that we knew, you know. And, and as time grew on, we like, we cannot be the same thing as my dad we cannot do this and we don't have to do this because we know other songs and and uh, there's other things that can creep out of what we're doing and and uh, maybe we can get away from just a, the old standard solo mm-hmm. and stretch it out right you know and that that has a lot to do with david grisman and sam bush for me you know the way they would stretch solos out yeah you know? <laughs> So I had heard that and knew it, and and just in your, it's inside of you. So you just got to bring it out. You yeah. Know? So, you know, we started doing things that we could stretch out on, and of course, you know, when I sing, I can't help but sound like my dad. Yeah. It's a little lower. <laughs> yeah, but then you got Jason way down. Then there. you have Jason, and who's Alan's got, in there. Jason's got a great voice. He does. Alan's got a great voice. I mean, they, they they they're good singers. You know, really good singers and. Alan can sing anything. He sing high or low. He's oh, yeah. just rich, you know. Remember when you guys were doing um, Colorado? What is that tune called with Bill Nershi? Blue, Bluebird. Yeah, yeah. That that he got way up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah, remember I that was. I know it. I really that was my favorite song you guys did on that run. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we worked it up for that. I remember that, and and Billy was all excited, you know. <laughs> That, that we did a bluegrass version of it, you know, because uh-huh. he's used to the cheese doing it. But yeah. uh, so, you know, with these guys, they, they brought what they like to do. Alan, he's he likes to write songs. and Yeah, he uh, told me he's a closet guitar player. Yeah. 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 He, he plays, I don't, you know, I don't think he, he plays a whole lot, but yeah, he, he definitely likes to play the guitar. Jason, same thing. He's a guitar player. When I met him, he was Tony Rice, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's kind of three different voices, but we learn to blend well. Yeah, and you yeah. keep fresh that way, too. Mm-hmm. Do people bring the songs in, and you guys work them up together? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. We have, I don't know how many songs that we actually do, but, uh, you know, when we finally put this record out, we had a bunch of stuff we'd recorded at the time. And so we just said, look, we're going to put it all out, and it's a long record. It's in the 60-minute range, you yeah. know. <laughs> It's great, man. I've listened to it a number of times. Oh, thanks. I play it at work too, and I I, I love telling people like, "What's this?" It's like, "It's Travis McCurry's." <laughs> we played Delfest a few years ago, mm-hmm. and there's in the green room of the stage we played at. There's a picture of you got you and your brother hanging out with 
Jerry Garcia, which yeah. is really cool to see. I imagine that must have been on one of those tours. Or well, it was it was the time that I sold him some banjos. And David, you know, he's just a, a wheeler dealer. So I was 20 years old or whatever, and 21 or 20, and, and I was like, man, I'm playing music, but I need to make some more money, you know. <laughs> sure, as we all do. <laughs> <laughs> so I... I saw these in the newspaper, you know. Somebody had these banjos for sale, and they were open back, old old time banjos. And uh, I went to the thing and I bought them. I bought them for like four or five hundred bucks, something like that, for two. And I first thing I did was call David, and uh, David said, "Yeah, man, you could probably get at least a thousand for those." And he said, "Hey, I know somebody might want them." Nice, yeah. <laughs> and a collector and, as he was, I think. Yeah. yeah. And and so he he said, "Yeah, I think he's he wants to see him." So I'm at my little apartment and uh, I'm on the phone with this guy who actually used to travel did tours on the road, yeah. you know. Yep. Selling grilled cheese and the whole thing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> we had just got this thing called waiting back then. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah that's right the beep <laughs> yeah the beep so i'm on the phone with uh, my buddy in rochester new york and i get this beep and i flip over and he goes hey ronnie this is jerry garcia <laughs> and i said hey man how you doing oh good man how are you i said fine i said hey can you wait one second <laughs> yeah and i beeped him over you know i was like partially nervous you know and uh, told the guys like, "Oh my God, you got to get on that phone call." Anyhow, long story short, I talked to Jerry, and and he said, "Come down to the Capitol Center uh, in Washington D.C." So I went down there, and I took my dad, and uh, my wife, and my sister, and my brother. We all went down there, and uh, Hornsby was in the band at the time. I remember that nice. for those few years, you know. And had just had a wonderful conversation with him after after his uh, sound check, and for about an hour, hour and fifteen, and he was really. My dad met him in 1972, with David at a festival in uh, Virginia, and he introduced him as David said, "This is my new banjo player," you know. Sure, nice. <laughs> And so this was almost 92, it was like 90, 91. So 20 years later, they hadn't seen each other, you know. And so he was really excited to see my dad. I could tell, you know, and I was a kid, and I was I was like, wow, he's a rock star, and he likes my dad. <laughs> it's yeah. just, you know how you are as a, as a kid. I was a kid, you know. I was To see the reverence that he had yes, for the music was impactful, yes. I'm sure. And, uh I said, will you, will you do Rain and Snow tonight? I asked, asked him if he'd do that. You know, he could tell that I was, I kind of, I dug him, and I'm, you're still like, oh, dad's, dad's cool, he's not cool. You know how you are when you're a kid, you don't, right. you know. Yep. Is your dad, mom, cool, you know? <laughs> and uh, first thing he did, go out, and they, they did Rain and Snow. Pretty cool. Yeah, but he bought the banjos. Long story short, <laughs> were you a were you a short lived closet banjo player or was no? It... I never really played at all. No, no, <laughs> so you're no. a strong man. <laughs> I I tell you what, that my dad showed me the forward roll, and I was uh, I was getting you know playing it, you know, and I started out on the, on the violin, 
Uh, yeah, I remember. I heard a story. Yeah, you, you started kind of playing mandolin on the violin first, picking. I it. did. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I started using a pick on it because uh, I was learning my dad's kickoffs to certain songs. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I guess from the start, you know, I didn't really learn a lot of fiddle tunes or anything. I learned my dad's tunes. Later on is where I learned more fiddle tunes. You know, a lot of people start out playing a fiddle tune. First thing you do, you know. But um, Rob, that first week I was learning, learning this forward roll, Rob just kind of was sitting around, and and uh, I had already been playing the, the fiddle and the mandolin a little bit, but Rob hadn't played anything, and he just sat down at nine and just went, did the forward roll right off the bat. Just a you natural know, Hearing me, you know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and my dad was really good banjo player, you know, really good. He was hired by Bill Monroe at first. He was offered a job because he was a banjo player nice yeah um just to nerd out on instruments a little more um being a mandolin player myself i i'm thrilled when somebody pulls out an electric mandolin yeah you can shred that as you do is that something you've been doing for a while or is um, that just with the traveling mccurries you started working that into yeah with them back when i was uh, living in pennsylvania out of school and before i was moved to nashville there was a band in in the area that played grateful dead songs and i'd go play with them and Played quite a bit with him when I was around, but I didn't play electric and uh, just playing acoustic. But you know, you can never get get the volume up or the sustain, or the sustain, like or any of that stuff. So, if you're a mandolin player and you you see guys like Sam Bush on one, <laughs> yeah, he'll do it. He'll, <laughs> yeah, it's he'll like, hey it. man, I want I want in on the fun, you know. <laughs> and through the years, I play with him a lot, you know, on mm-hmm. stage and and. Uh, he, I think he even let me play the electric uh, on stage with him once, but it's kind of strange. But uh, I went to school with a guy, and he got when we got out of school, he contacted me in Nashville, and he said, "I work for Paul Reed Smith." You sure? Yeah. <laughs> and he said uh, he built electric mandolin, and I want to send it to you. And I said, "Well, okay." And I wasn't playing it at all, you know. Mm-hmm. And so he sent it to me, and, uh, you know, I started, all I knew to do was take it and show it to some folks. So, like, Kang, mm-hmm. I, I, showed, I remember showing him and showing Sam and, and Drew, I think, and some other guys. This Paul Reed Smith is the first one he ever built. And I wasn't playing it at all, and I hated it. I just did I was just, we didn't have the Travis McCurries. This was just the Don McCurry band. Just didn't know how to inject it into the no, what you were doing? not at all, you know, and knew so very little about it all. And uh, so, of course, they got it back because somebody wanted to buy it. Sure. It was a, they, they told me that anyhow. <laughs> Long story short, Cody Kilby owns it. <laughs> oh, really? Nice. <laughs> yeah, it must have sat on the shelf and uh, and... Cody and he has his own Paul Reed Smith guitar. Yeah, you know it's acoustic, and they're buddy buddy. You know he loved Cody, and he laid on laid him that electric mandolin, like five six years ago, something like that. <laughs> um, cool. So I got this. I got the one I've got um, on eBay. I never bought anything in my life on eBay before that. <laughs> oh man, welcome to the club. <laughs> I prefer the shady Craigslist transactions <laughs> myself. <but. laughs> Back alley LA transaction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> 
So you guys obviously play a lot of festivals, and Dell Fest is mm -hmm. like an anchor of the year for you guys. <laughs> yeah. Are there, are there any other festivals that you really look forward to playing throughout the year? I mean, um, you guys seem to be pretty consistent year to year. And well, back you to know, places. at this point, you know, it's kind of like uh, we've luckily been able to play most of them that, yeah. are, that are in the world that we are in, you yeah. know. There's other things outside of that that, you know, it'd be nice to be a part of uh, that maybe are like outside of the music we do. So you can be the guys that kind of introduce right. it. Like you know? a Coachella or <laughs> yeah. something. Well, maybe not that big, but like yeah. a, a more. We did Stagecoach a couple times. Oh, nice. Okay. And we, they, we always wanted to do Coachella, you know. Uh, our, our manager just couldn't, couldn't get them for my dad. It was for my dad. Yeah. Know? Um, I don't know. Uh, I look forward to going back to, you know, all these places. The, the Telluride, which is beautiful, mm -hmm. and you know, the John Hartford. Yeah, that yeah. That, whole, that that whole scene is great down there. Yeah, you know, I first went to that place with my dad in 1981. It was the third, about the third time I ever stood on stage. We we left uh, Pennsylvania. And played Bill Monroe's Bean Blossom. That was his park. You know, yep. he bought that in the fifties. He bought that early fifties. Yeah. My dad played there in nineteen sixty three, and it was used to be the old barn was out there, and I it burnt to the ground. But it's kind of where you enter. Mm -hmm. There was a big white barn, and uh, that's where he had music every Sunday. He would have music, so Bill Monroe would leave Nashville after he played the Grand Ole Opry. And they would drive through the night Street. and get there. Yep. And it was about four, four or five hours. Yeah. And then my dad would have to get there and kind of help straighten the place up and put up chairs and light a fire. And, That's great, man. And all that. It's so like when driving in there, you can just feel like history in there. And yeah. Just like, it's just magical, those little hills. It's heavy, you know. And I went there in 81. And uh, we left Pennsylvania. I'd been on... First time I got on stage was May 28th, 1981. And Monroe's festival was in June. It was 10 days long. And so we left. We went there. And then we, the next show was Grass Valley, California. <laughs> this is all driving in a 4104 bus we had. Oh, and then deadheaded right home. Oh. 66 hours straight. I never Jesus, forgot that. <laughs> that is out of control. They never stopped. Because um, I was too young to drive, you know. But. Bill Monroe, he, he, I guess because of my dad and I was a mandolin player and all this, but he, I remember standing on the side of the stage, and the stage is it kind of it's a new stage now, but it it's built about the same way the old one was. Okay. Uh, and I remember peeking around the corner and watching Bill Monroe's on a Sunday, and he started singing and. He uh, turned over to me, walked over, and put his mantlet around my neck. <laughs> and I went out and I played. Uh, they did a medley of, you know, Blue Moon of Kentucky and Uncle Penn and all these songs, you know. And I played them on, played the solos, and it was a. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I was just a kid, amazing. you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <clears throat> but that's a great place. Yeah, I have a lot of great memories there. I imagine. <laughs> um, maybe we'll move on to the lightning round. Uh oh, here we go. Not real easy. Uh, okay, 
Uh, any pre-show meals that you prefer to have or, or love to have before you play? Um, very little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the answer. Uh, pre-show rituals, you got a yoga or some meditation or just warming up? Uh, probably some, at this point, some uh, stretching of the fingers and hands and arms. You uh-huh, got to keep limber. Uh, on stage drink? Um. You know, I'm pretty pretty much just a water guy. Uh, if I drink anything, it, it might be beer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's usually IPAs what I like. Uh-huh. Okay. Who drives the most? Um, uh, when we fly, we get two vans at this point, uh, or if we have a Sprinter, but it, it's usually I'm the driver. Uh-huh. And... Uh, Alan, he Alan. Likes to drive. Um, Alan made a claim uh, a few shows back when we were with you guys. Maybe it was at Blue Ox. I was like, uh, "Who's gonna Who's gonna drive?" He's like, "I'm gonna drive the first shift, and then I'm gonna drive the next shift, and then I'm gonna drive the next shift." So, <laughs> but I remember seeing you drive when we were on Colorado too. So. Yeah, he he's got he's ten years younger. I let him do it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. He is. He's like, okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He gets coffee and he's like, nope, 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 nope. Uh, uh, who, last person to bed, first person to wake. Oh wow. Okay. <clears throat> last person to bed, Rob. Okay. First person to wake, uh, Alan. Usually. Okay. Not today, though. No, not today. <laughs> well, when you're up on a on a on a ski hill, you don't, you don't need to wake up. Um, is there a whip cracker in the band? Somebody who kind of herds the cats and gets everybody going? Mm, mm, I don't. I don't think so. Uh, I think it's it's pretty loose. You guys are pretty pretty well behaved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Probably if anybody would be Alan. Uh huh. Um. Well, I kind of asked that kind of a favorite club theater or you know hmm lucky man we played carnegie hall a couple times and <laughs> yeah the grand old opry oh, you know, yeah. the ryman auditorium that's that to <laughs> me that's that's heavy yeah <laughs> what are you listening to now or what's maybe like influencing you or what are you really into oh yeah game? wow 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 um jeez that's a tough one i I'm, mm-hmm. I'm one of these guys i bounce around from everything you know yeah. I love the Dead Channel, the Bluegrass Channel, the 70s. Yeah, okay. Some good sounding records in the 70s. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, definitely. But I like some new stuff. I have kids, you know, so they, they turn me on to some new stuff, you know. My oldest is 21. He's got a 10-piece jazz funk band, so. Oh, that's great. He's listening to all kinds of stuff, you know. Uh-huh. Daughter 15, she listens to everything. She, but she's not like, oh God, what is she listening to? No, man, oh, I'll tell nice. you, man, she's a total. She says, I, I should have been in the 70s. She loves 70s music. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, any artists that you really would love to share the stage with that you maybe dream about and think about playing with? Man, I've been lucky. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> an interesting lucky, question man. to ask. You're I've like, well, lucky. I've played with just about everybody. So. <laughs> man, yo, yo, ma. Played with, played with the Almond Brothers, man. We played at their festival and got on stage with them. Oh, that, yeah. It's wild. I mean, after you think about you know, Warren Haynes was in the band then, you know. Mm-hmm. and uh, But still, I mean, that kind of stuff to... Derek Trucks, you know, <laughs> yeah. the feeling that guy's got. All the all my heroes, Grisman, Sam Bush, Bill Monroe, Earl Scruggs, 
the Osborne brothers. I love the Osborne brothers. Uh -huh. Jimmy and Jesse. Um, Jerry Douglas produced a couple of our records, and we played on the stage with him. The best. He'll be at Blue Ox this year. Is he? Yeah. Awesome. Peter Rowan will be there this year. Oh, yeah, Peter. Yeah. We've done a lot of touring with Peter. The Earls of Lester will be there this year. All right. Uh, favorite band member? <laughs> <laughs> Rob. <laughs> uh, least, least favorite band member? <laughs> Me. <laughs> uh, all right. That, I always, always try to end with that one just to see what <laughs> people do. That's, pretty, that's, <laughs> that's all we got for you. Hey, man. But thank hey. you so much for stopping by. Thanks for hanging with us, and we'll look forward to seeing you out at Blue Ox. We will see you there. <laughs> so our great thanks to ronnie and all the mccurry boys for always being so cool and supportive and for really being one of the main reasons we are involved with blue Ox. make sure you tune into the next episode where we'll be talking about eau claire wisconsin itself sitting down with uh eau claire natives them coolie boys we're also going to be talking with sarah shook about her upcoming performance at the blue ox festival Thanks for listening. Make sure you send us emails and correspondence regarding this and anything else you want to talk to us about. Really, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we love doing this, and we really hope you are loving listening to it as much as we love making it. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite streaming service. Rate us five stars. Share with your friends. So, as always, we want to thank our Blue Ox official sponsors, Bells Brewing, Tattersall Distilling, Loon Juice Ciders, Valley Media Works, Demon Rum, Hampton Inn, Waste Management, Nicolay Law Offices, Rooney Printing Company, Charter Bank, 89.3 The Current, WORT 89.9 FM Community Radio out of Madison, Wisconsin, and Converge Radio 99.9. See you in the pines. If you get there,